This morning we continue our series in the book of Exodus in chapter 19 to deal with the subject, Daring to Draw Near to a Consuming Fire. Daring to Draw Near to a Consuming Fire. Social distancing is steadily becoming a way of life for us because of COVID-19. This pandemic, although we now have a vaccine, has taught us to stay back, stand down, stay and even run away from just about everyone. If you get too close, it can cost you your life. Most folks are keeping their distance, respecting boundaries and other people's space, but it's difficult to live with these restrictions long term. And many of us are feeling the stress of isolation, distancing ourselves from others, and trying our best not to touch surfaces that could infect us. All of this can make you feel like you are in a social wilderness, a relational desert. Instead of lacking food, water, and security, there is a lack of the refreshment brought by human gathering and interaction. Today I want to talk to you about daring to draw near to a consuming fire. The Israelites have now been out of bondage for exactly three months when we meet them in Exodus 19. Let's look at this passage. Um, this is, uh, some of this stuff is going to be uh, re repetitive. Uh, recently we just heard a good message, a great message from Tom Miller on this, on part of this chapter. And we're going to look at it again because it's so important. And look at a little bit more of the chapter as well. So let's turn uh, to Exodus 19 and let's listen uh, beginning at verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidium and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples." For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I want to stop there for a moment. There's a lot here in this passage, and I want to look at just and highlight a few things. Um, in the first two verses, you see highlighted, the fact that Israel is in a wilderness, that keeps getting repeated in those two verses. The word Sinai actually means desert. And so there is this repetition, uh, this emphasis on their location in a wilderness before the mountain. 
And, you know, up to this point, when Israel finds itself in a wilderness, it's a place where they're compelled to depend on the Lord. In chapters 15, uh, at the end of that chapter, they're in the wilderness. There's no water. They have to depend on the Lord and depend on his word. In chapter 16, there's no food to eat, and they have to depend on the word of the Lord, and God sends manna, just like he brought water in chapter 15. In chapter 17, there's no water again, and again they have to depend on the Lord for water. And what's also characteristic of the wilderness up until this point is at the end of chapter 17, you have this attack this war with the Amalekites, and they have to depend on the Lord. They have to depend on uh, the Lord's servant, Moses, at that particular time. They have to depend on fighting a good fight. And all of that works together, and they, they win the battle. And now they find themselves in a wilderness again. And a wilderness in Scripture is a place where God often meets with his people. It's a place where uh, they're, they're forced to face their mortality and how needy they are, how desperate they are. And uh, that's kind of where a lot of you are right now. We live kind of in a, a social wilderness, a, a relational desert, and there's, there's a lot going on whether it's COVID or politics or uncertainties, there's just a lot of need to depend on the word of the Lord. And uh, that word is meant to shape your life and, and to uh, help you conform to God's ways and uh, to, to shore you up with the promises of God and give you confidence in Him. And um, that's where Israel was. That's where we are. And Moses is the one who went up the mountain. They needed a mediator. Uh, they stopped at the foot of the mountain, and Moses alone went up the mountain to get a word from the Lord. And we have that in Jesus Christ, don't we? We have someone who has ascended even higher than Moses has, and has brought to us the very words of God, and, and not only just a word from God, Jesus gave his very self to us when he came down from heaven. He gave himself on the cross for our sins so that we would belong to the Lord forever. And that's a wonderful portrait of the gospel. At this time, only Moses could go up the mountain, but now the, the Lord has come down to us himself in the flesh. Well, when Moses goes up the mountain, he hears from the Lord, and, and what the Lord tells him to say to Israel is tell them what I did for them. Tell them what just happened to them. What I did to the Egyptians, their enemies, their oppressors. I dealt with them. I judged them. They're drowned in the bottom of the sea. Right? And also tell them 
what I did not only to punish their foes, but what I did to save them. I brought them on eagles' wings. They basically uh, were, were on my wings, and I'm the one who soared, carrying them. I carried them through the wilderness when they were thirsty, when they were hungry. That's what God did for you as well. That's what he's doing right now for you. He's the one soaring, and you're just going for a ride. And, and the purpose of which is that God would bring Israel to himself. It's always been the purpose since we, 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 we were led astray in the Garden of Eden and we had to go away. God has been determined to bring his people back to himself, back in communion with him, back in a right relationship with him. And that's what he did for Israel. That's what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. He's brought you to himself. And in view of what God has done, and that's the way this you'll find, as you, I'm sure you have already have found, that this is the way it always works. God always begins with who he is and what he's done. Then he calls us, to live responsibly, responsibly and responsibly to who he is and what he's done. And he says that much in, in verse 5. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. And, and you know, we can never forget that dynamic of what God has done, now what we do. You know, it, the, the Hebrew is even more emphatic than the English. I mean, they, they capture it in, in part by you yourselves have seen. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's, it's literally you, you have seen. You know, and so God is emphatically calling his people to remind uh, them of what he's done for them. And then he calls us to be obedient, to be loyal, to be faithful to the covenant. And if we, if, we, if we respond to grace in that way, with obedience, with covenant faithfulness, it puts us in a place where we can be useful to God. That's what it says. You know, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. With the implication is that if, if we don't respond to grace with obedience and covenant faithfulness, we can't really be God's treasured possession among all peoples. So what does it mean to be a treasured possession? It means at least two things. Um, in, in the first place, it means that, that the nations will see, those who don't know God will see that God treasures you. He cherishes you. He nurtures you. He provides for you. He cares for you. People will see God loves you. And it will be attractive to them. And the, the, the purpose of which is that they will want it. I want a God who treasures me that way. You know. Who cares for me. Who nurtures me who cherishes me, who disciplines me. 
you know, who does all those things for me. And treasure possession also points to the fact that you will be a treasure, God's treasure, among the nations. And that, that's probably more of the emphasis here, but, you know, you think about Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham prayed for these nations, these cities. And God basically said to Abraham at the end of his prayer that if there were ten righteous people in these cities, I would spare the whole place just for those ten righteous people. See, those ten righteous people, hypothetically, they would be a real treasure for the rest of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. They would save all of those cities if they were just there. And it's the same with you. You are a treasure. God, God has placed a value on you as his people. And he places you strategically in a particular place or desires to place you strategically in a particular place so that your presence in partnership with him will bring good and blessing to other people. It's a blessing to belong to the Lord and God intends to use you as a blessing wherever he sets you. And uh, what that looks like as you go on um, is you will be a kingdom of priests to God and a holy nation to God. You will be someone that God can use in this world to be a blessing to other people. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're living in a city full of, a hung, full of hungry people, a supermarket is a, is a treasure trove when, when you find it, if you're hungry. You know, if you're sick and you need a doctor, a hospital is like a treasure trove to you. You, you could be driving, trying to get somewhere, and you're running out of gas, and then you see a gas station. It's like a treasure to you. Well, Christians are supposed to be that way as well. You're supposed to be that way in this world. A treasure that people find and come to find that there's a God who actually loves them and has done something in Jesus for their salvation as well. Well, when... When he calls them, he calls them to be a kingdom of priests. The priest, as you know, brings God to people and brings people to God. That's basically what a priest does. He does a lot more than that, but I mean, if you wanted to narrow it down and speak in general terms, a priest brings people to God. And a priest brings God to people. And, and this, this response to grace, a life of, of obedience and loyalty, and makes you a treasured possession among all the nations, and you're able to be a kingdom of priests, people who actually bring people to God and bring God to people, and a holy nation, a nation set apart by God, bearing the character of God. That's what a holy nation does. It, it means you're set apart by God for a particular purpose, and you actually reflect the character of that God who has set you apart. And that's who God tends to use uh, when, you, when you think about this identity that God has given. This passage, again, as you know, is quoted in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verses 9, uh, through, 9 and 
verse 9, but the context is, go, runs through verse 12. And what you notice there in 1 Peter, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 9, the thing that you notice about this, quoting this particular passage, is that the people who are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, they are called to declare the excellencies of God, who's called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's what Israel was called to do as well. And that's what you are called to do, to be a proclaimer of the excellencies of God. And uh, what happens when that happens um, is that people come to uh, bring glory to God, as it says in verse 12, eventually, when they, when they see the character of God in you. They hear the message of God from you. They give glory to God, and that's the whole point of this identity. And what Peter does in this passage again is he emphasizes what Moses did in the book of Exodus. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so what Peter does is he, he cements people in the reality of the gospel. You didn't always have it this way, Peter says. You, you didn't always know what mercy was, but now you've received mercy. You weren't always the people of God, but now you are the people of God. And, and he, 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 you know, you see this repetition of this in the Bible, that God calls us to think about what you were apart from him, or what you are apart from him, and now what you are in him by Jesus Christ. And that's what keeps the gospel fresh in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Because it didn't have to be this way. Uh, but by the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God. That's the only reason it is this way. And it wasn't always this way. There used to be a time, right, when you didn't know the Lord. But now you've come to know the Lord. And God calls us to remind ourselves of that. It's even in the Decalogue in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He, he, he says on the Sabbath, remind yourself, you used to be a slave. But now you've been set free. And we have to remind ourselves of those realities. And that's what, that's what uh, God goes on to. And, and if you look at Exodus 19 again, verse 7, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, we'll get to that in a minute, but you find here that Moses, uh, he, he reports what God had said. Uh, to the elders, and so leaders of churches, leaders of family, if you're single, to you yourself. Uh, you know, he calls the leaders to disciple the people in the gospel, to disciple them with respect to what they used to be apart from God and what they now are in God. That's what people need to hear. They need to hear the gospel. They need to be refreshed with that reality. We forget, one sort of ministers say, that God calls us to be filled with the Spirit because we leak. We leak so easily, and we need that constant filling of the Spirit who comes to bring glory to Christ. And not only that, we see that, that calling to elders in that passage in verse 7 of, of Exodus 19, 
And you see the people's response. All that the Lord has said we will do. And, you know, they're, they're saying this not even, they haven't even heard all that God wants them to do yet. I mean, you get a lot of that in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments and, and the, the case laws that follow that. So they haven't even heard any of that yet, but they're, they're raring and ready to be obedient, like Isaiah, you know. Here I am, send me, because of his experience with God. This has touched your lips. Your iniquity is atoned for, is what Isaiah was told. And Israel at this point has this, this sense of we've been called out of bondage by the blood of the Lamb. We've been saved. And this is what God did for us. He did it. He, he took care of our foes. He, he, he soared with us on his wings like an eagle. He's brought us to himself. Yeah, we're ready to do anything he has to say. Um, and of course, you know, we have to be careful that we're not that group of people who receive the word of the Lord with joy, and when trouble comes, we immediately wither away. And in many ways, that's what Israel was like in their beginning stages. We see that they, you know, like Peter, I'll die with you, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. But then a little girl said, I know you, you're one of them, and he says, I don't know Jesus. So we have to be careful. We have to have zeal and knowledge when it comes to obedience. And, and Israel, you know, eventually learned that in, in spurts, but failed in many ways. And so we have to learn from that example that the gospel is something that does bring fire into our belly and into our soul. We get excited about God. We get excited about obedience um, but then we have to check ourselves and make sure that we're really call, call, we're really um, paying attention to that calling to faithfulness to the covenant, faithfulness uh, no matter what. And so, um, covenant is a marriage, and it's marriage is hard, you know, if you're married, and um, it can be difficult at times. It's a calling to love, a calling to respect, a calling to mutual submission you know, in the Lord, and um, it's not a cakewalk. And so we have to be rooted and grounded in that gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain, or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Um, 
So you have this, 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 this word from the Lord to Moses that, that he's coming down in a thick cloud. And the, the purpose is that, that God wants the people to hear him speaking to Moses so that they'll know, okay, oh, now we can trust Moses is the God. God speaks to him so we can follow him. And so it, it confirms, um, you know, back in, in, um, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, we, we referenced that. It's God said, this is how you'll know that I sent you, is that you'll serve me on this mountain. Now they're at that mountain. And this is God's way of making it known, not only to Moses, but to the people. Yeah, he's the guy I sent. Because now you can hear, yourself, you can hear for yourself that I'm speaking with him and speaking to him something that no one ever had experienced prior. Um, so, so when Moses, you know, he told these words to the, pe to, uh, to the people, to the Lord, and the Lord told Moses to go down and consecrate the people. Now, um, after this, you find that Moses consecrates the people by sprinkling them with blood and by speaking the word to them. And so that's part of, of what it means to set them apart, to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. And... Um, not only that, but he says to the people, wash your garments. And so you have this imagery of cleanliness, being consecrated, being set apart, and, and, and taking personal responsibility. The people had to wash their garments, and they had to be ready. You have to be ready, don't you, to, re to really receive a word from the Lord? I mean, if you're, you know, you're not concerned about cleanliness, spiritually speaking, you can't really receive a word from the Lord, from the Scripture, if you're, if you're indifferent to holiness, indifferent to godliness. How can you hear the Lord if godliness is, and holiness are not a, a chief concern in your life? That has to be a, a chief concern. Without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. And, and Israel was poised to, to see something here at this mountain. God was coming down. He was going to show up, and 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 it was you know it was sights and sounds. I mean, he was going to show them some sort of uh, theophany of himself that they would never forget. And they had to be poised. They had to be prepared. And what God communicates by consecration and washing your garments is: you need to be clean. You need to be clean uh, with respect to the Lord. Now, what's interesting in the, in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, we come to Jesus to be clean. We come to Jesus like the leper because we're not clean, and we call him and, and pray to him to make us clean. But having been made clean, there is a calling to walk in holiness, to walk in godliness, so that we are useful to the master. Let a man cleanse himself from these so that he might be useful to the master, ready for every good work, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If a man cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. And so there's a real call here to mortify sin, to put it to death on a daily basis, to be walking in holiness and godliness so that we can be useful to the Master. And, and in light of the Gospel, we should desire, we should, we should long to be useful to the Master. 
to Jesus Christ. And, um, and you know, they, you know, this is God's command uh, for social distancing. We've gotten a lot of laws about social distancing because of COVID, and this is God's social distance. It's kind of like sacred distancing. Um, you know, don't come but so close. You know, Moses got a dose of this when he was at the burning bush, didn't he? He saw the bush. He was curious about it. It was on fire, but it wasn't burning up, and he was walking towards it, and then he heard God speaking to him, and God said, that's far enough. Don't come any further. You're on holy ground. Take your shoes off. You know, and so this is God's way of saying that now to all the people. You know, you had there a, a burning bush, and now you have a burning butte, a burning hill, you know, a, 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 a sharp hill. That's what a butte is. It's, a, it's like a mountain that kind of shoots up, and that's what Sinai is like a rock formation that shoots up, um, has a steep slope, and, and that's what you have here. Not a burning bush, but a burning, a burning mountain. Um, and so God even says, you know, if you look at verse 12 there, it says, take care not to go up the mountain, not to even touch the edge of it. And whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. I mean, this is a death threat. This is serious stuff. God is a consuming fire. And God, you don't play God, and you don't play with God. God is to be reverenced. You know, even in the New Testament, in Hebrews, it says of God to the New Testament believer, in Christ, our God is a consuming fire. And so, the fact that we're now under grace, so to speak, and not under law, does not change uh, the, the character of God. God is still a consuming fire. Um, he's not someone to be toyed around with, but to be taken serious. And then, so, Moses went down, he told the people, he consecrated them, they call, he called them to wash their garments, take personal responsibility to prepare themselves to meet God, and he says, don't go near a woman. Now this can, you can take that the wrong way. I mean, God has nothing against, nor does Moses have anything against women. Uh, but the point is that there is a, uh, God is, if you remember what it says in Jeremiah, when he called his people out of Egypt, he was their husband. And so there's a sense in which God calls Israel to a focused fixation on God. I mean, it doesn't take a, a rocket science to figure out that, that women can be a distraction to men. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of, uh, you should know that, you know. Uh, many people have run into a wall with their car because some woman walked on by. Um, and so, so God is calling his people to be free from distraction, to have a utter fixation on who God is, an utter focus on his, on his being and what he's showing them and what he's saying to them. And he wants them to be focused on him as their husband, as their, as, their, um, as their leader, their covenant God and king. So let's move on to verse 16. And so the same thing is true of us. I mean, we need that kind of focus. You know, um, Paul, and uh, I should say this, in 1 Corinthians 7, mentioned how uh, a married person is, is often distracted, seeking to serve the kingdom, but also Part of serving the kingdom is also serving his wife and family. And so he's, there's, 
there's a divide in his in his mind. And and Paul was was a single person, and he was able to focus fully and and on uh, the Lord and the work of the kingdom. He didn't have um, the blessed duty of caring for a wife or caring for children in that regard. And so, in like manner, as one man, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may serve me, worship me. As one man, Israel as a nation was the focus at this particular, this meeting uh, with God. Uh, because this was, as, as one uh, theologian said, this was a tryst. It was God, the husband, calling his wife, the people, out to meet with him. Um, so in verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up, the Mount, uh, come, cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And so, in, in this section, uh, this, is, this is like terrifying. Uh, as, as you read this, uh, they've come to the mountain. They've, they've, you know, God has said, I brought you to myself. And then he essentially says, keep away. You know, it, it's really interesting, but... They, they, he brought them to himself, but only so far, um, or you're going to die. And so there's this, in this section, there's this constant refrain of God warning Moses to warn the people. Tell them to stay back, because they're really, they're going to want to, they're going to want to poke their heads out and, and say, well, let me see, let me see more. And God says to Moses, don't let them do it, they'll all die. And even with the priest... He says, don't let them come up either. They need to consecrate themselves or I'll break out against them too. These are the very people who are supposed to have a connection with God and bring other people to God and bring God to people. And he says, of them, I'll break out against them too. If they're not consecrated the right way. And, and so essentially, it's just Moses and Aaron who are authorized personnel able to go up the mountain. And, and, and Moses, it says in the New Testament, was, was trembling in fear at this moment. You know, God had preached the gospel to his people. He told them he wanted them to be a treasured possession, kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And now they're all like trembling and greatly disturbed. Even the mountain is greatly trembling because God had descended on it. And so this is a, this is a, a horrifying scene. In, in many ways, I mean, it's glorious and majestic, but for, 
for sinful people, it, it's, it's a terror. This is, a, this is the stuff that nightmares are made of. You know, and, and eventually, uh, after the giving of the law, uh, the people say uh, to Moses, uh, you speak to us, don't let, him, don't let God speak to us, because we're afraid of him. He scares us to death, but, but he can speak to you and you can speak to us. We can take you, but we can't take him. Um, and of course, there is no fear in punishment. You know, uh, the law exposes our sin. It grips us with the reality of our, our wickedness and our sinfulness, and that's part of what's going on there. But, but, the, but, you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ now, looking back on this passage, you cannot read this passage anymore without balancing uh, this passage with its sister uh, passage in the New Testament. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says in verse 18, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And that's the way it was back then. It was a scary thing. It was a, a horrifying thing, a terrifying thing to meet God. And, and does that passage scare you? The one we just read, I mean, is it, does it give you the willies? I mean, or does it make you shrink? When you think about meeting God, because you're going to meet Him one day. You've got to meet Him. Everybody's got a day in court. Everybody's got subpoenaed, and everybody's going to be summoned. And uh, you've got to meet with God one day. And does the thought of meeting God scare you? Does it terrify you? Because if it does, what the writer of Hebrews says next is for you. And even if it doesn't terrify you, it's for you. Because the writer of Hebrews says that the Mount, Mount Sinai, that's not the mountain that you've come to. That was the mountain in the Old Testament. But you've come to a different mountain. In verse 22 of Hebrews 12, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's the mountain you've come to. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. You have come to, to innumerable angels that can't be counted. And they're all dressed to celebrate. They're all dressed like they're going to a huge celebration. That's where you've come. In Christ Jesus, that's where you've come. You know, the angels mediated the first covenant, and it was still a horrifying scene. Yeah, whatever that was. Um, it was a horrifying scene. And, um, and now you've come to, uh, to another mountain and there's angels there. You can't count the angels. There's too many angels and they're all gathering for a party, for a celebration. You know, it says the angels rejoice in heaven at the repentance of one sinner. And God himself rejoices in the presence of angels when one sinner repents. And so you've come to this, this meeting 
that, that points to the gospel and points to how you got here through Jesus Christ. And it's a party and God is celebrating. And the angels are celebrating. And it says also in verse 23, it says, And to the assembly of the firstborn, it's firstborns, really, because it's plural, who are enrolled in heaven. You've come to church. That's where you've come. You've come to a gathering of people whose names are written in glory. And that's what Jesus told his disciples. When they came back, remember, they said they were so happy that demons even submit to us. And Jesus said, don't rejoice because of that. Rejoice because your names are enrolled in heaven. Imagine that, that Jesus has a book in glory. And your name's in it. Can't you wait? I can't wait to get up there and say, where's the page where my name appears? You've come to a gathering. You've come to an assembly. You've come to um, the ecclesia. You've come to the church of the firstborn. Uh, the firstborn, Jesus is the firstborn, but in Christ Jesus, you're considered the firstborn. Israel is my, my firstborn son, you see. And, and so you have been grafted in to the true Israel, to Jesus Christ. You've been united to him. He's the firstborn, and you, you're an heir of Christ, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And so you're considered like a firstborn one. You have that identity in Christ, and, and uh, it says you've come to God, the judge of all. Now imagine that. You've come to God. He's the judge. He's going to judge you. But in Christ Jesus, he judges you just as righteous and just as sinless as Christ is. You've come to the judge. And, and in the old covenant, that was a scary thing. But in the new covenant, in Christ, and even in the old covenant for those who believed in the Christ to come, you've come to the judge of all. And you've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And these are the folk who are in heaven. They're, they're spirits, right? And they're in heaven, and they've been perfected. And so you've come to this immense celebration of God and his gospel. And then, and then here is uh, the point of it all. Verse 24, you've come to Jesus because he's the mediator of a new covenant. He's the mediator of a better covenant. Moses was the mediator of the first covenant. And Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. And this new covenant means that your transgressions have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. They've been buried in the depths of the sea. They no longer come into the thought patterns of God. He remembers them no more. The barrier has been removed. God lives inside of you. Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. It's not God on a mountain. It's God in your heart. Father, Son, by the Holy Spirit, live inside of you. You become the mountain. And God lives inside of you. And He fills you with the wonder of His presence and His majesty and His glory. It's the treasure, right? In a broken vessel. And so, you know, so you're, a treasured, you're His treasured possession who, who possesses the treasure, the treasure of all treasures. God lives in you. And so... 
you've come to Jesus. He's the mediator of the new covenant. The new covenant talks about, uh, as, as Ezekiel tells us, the new covenant is God's law written on your heart. Jeremiah says that Ezekiel talks about a heart of stone has been taken out of you and a heart of flesh has been put in you and the Spirit of God has been put in you and causes you to live in a way that pleases God. He's at work in you both to will, to create the desire and the power to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Jesus is the mediator of that covenant. And, um, and not only that, it's, it's a mediator, uh, and, and it says, uh, to the sprinkled blood, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And this is profound. You know the story of Cain and Abel, and you know what Cain did to Abel. Uh, Abel was righteous, and Cain was unrighteous. Abel believed, and Cain didn't believe. And... Um, and because of that, Cain got mad and killed his brother. And his brother's blood cried out to God for vengeance, cried out to God for payback, cried out to God for justice, cried out to God for judgment of the manslayer. But Jesus, the God-man, slain on Calvary, his blood flowed. And his blood shouts over you, forgive them for everything they've ever done wrong. Wash them and make them pure of all of their unrighteousness. Reconcile them to yourself. Bring them to yourself and bring yourself into them. That's a better word than the word of, uh, of, of Abel's blood. The sprinkled blood, it makes you clean. It brings you into the fellowship of the Trinity. That's the better word that we see looking at the Exodus passage from a New Testament standpoint. And so it goes on to say in verses 25 through 29, See that you do not refuse the one who's speaking. See, Israel kind of, sort of refused God from speaking to them. And they said, well, he can speak to you, Moses, but don't let him speak to us. But here it's saying that, you know, in light of the gospel, in light of this blood of Christ, in light of the new covenant, in light of, in light of the spirits made perfect, and God the judge, and the assembly of the firstborn, and the innumerable angels, and festal gathering, Mount Zion, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, in light of all of this gospel good news, and kingdom good news, don't refuse that word. Don't refuse the word of the gospel. Don't refuse the word about the kingdom of Christ. Of course, the, the sense is, how on earth will you possibly escape if you refuse this? There is no hope apart from this. There is no help apart from this. But we are called to gratefully be thankful for this kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our God is a consuming fire. We're supposed to offer acceptable worship to Him. I want to just look at that, that last couple of verses there. We'll pick up some of the other themes as we look at chapter 20 of Exodus. But if you look at verses 28 and 29 of Hebrews 12, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We are called to be a people of worship, a people of joy, a people of festal gathering, of, 
of, of celebrating the God who has saved us and redeemed us. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's what's going to keep you strong in the midst of this, this wilderness, whether it's social or relational desert that you may be experiencing, uh, the pandemic, the culture, the things going on, all that's taking place, the worship of God because of the gospel of God revealed through Jesus Christ the King, worshiping God, gathering together in worship is what is going to uh, win the day and keep you perseverant in the face of the problems that uh, assail us. Um, God's voice at that time, it shook the earth and he intends to shake the heavens so that he might bring about his everlasting kingdom. So let us worship this God. Let's dare to draw near to this consuming fire, not in trepidation and fear like Israel did of old, but knowing that fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love revealed through Jesus Christ cast out fear because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He took the heat of God's thunder and lightning, the tempest. He took it on Calvary so that we could be grateful so that we could stand in awe of the glory of God revealed on the cross of Jesus Christ, that Jesus took the wrath of God and through doing that brought us back to God and brought God to us, in us, working through us. Let's give thanks. Let's be grateful. Let's stand in awe and be ready to serve whatever he calls us to. God bless you and keep you this day.